sermons. This week we are continuing our series called Roots, and speaking today is Mike Schnepp. In a sermon series called Roots, and what the intention of this series has been is to, for each of us on pastoral staff, to have a chance to come before you and tell our story a little bit, to tell us, to tell you what brought us here today and what's the journey that the Lord has been bringing us on, and to also put before you a, a text that is one that is near and dear to our hearts, so one that brings passion to our hearts, one that gives fire to our souls and inflames our love for the local church. Well, let me tell you a little bit my my story here. I grew up in Massachusetts. And as I was listening to Josh Fay speak last week, I was reflecting on how my story is very similar to his. You know, like him, my parents came to know Jesus right about the time that I was born. And like him, that ended up with a career change for my father. My, my father had just finished uh, his degree in the church that they were attending had just started a small Christian school. And so that, that small Christian school was really looking for some help. And so my parents prayed about it. And my father decided to join the staff as a teacher. And we look back now and we laugh a little bit. But, you know, when he first started, the, the whopping salary for a teacher at a small Christian school was $75 a week. And so my parents, you know, joke about the stories of how they got by. And my mom worked and she was really faithful. And, and they kind of did this together for us. And, and so as he did that... You know, that, that's where I grew up. So I did two years of preschool, which is never a good sign if you've got to repeat preschool right off the bat. All right? Let's be honest. So kind of a notch below, just out of the gate. But I ended up getting through it eventually. On to kindergarten we went, and then I did 1 through 12 all the way through this small Christian school. And we have a little photo there. SCS was Springfield Christian School. I borrowed those sneakers from Ronald McDonald, apparently, who got them from Shaquille O'Neal. And I still haven't... Still haven't grown into them yet, but you can get and take that down because that's embarrassing. But I wanted you to see exactly kind of where we came from. I was a bit of a gym rat. I was going to be Michael Jordan. That was my plan, but I stopped growing at 12, and they said, you're not going to be tall enough. So I said, okay, let's go to other things. So I had this great environment to grow up in. Parents who loved Jesus, who loved us, and taught us about God. Tried to teach us to love Jesus, modeled that before us. But I don't know if you can relate to this, but for my first 20 years of life, I knew a whole lot about God, but I didn't know him. I knew his story. I knew Bible stories. I knew what the gospel was. I could even probably articulate it to someone on the street, but I tell you, I didn't cherish it. I didn't treasure the gospel. It had never gone from my head down to my heart, and so I was just one of those people who knew a lot, but had no true relationship Saving faith in Christ. And so I came to the end of high school and was trying to decide what to do. And, you know, my best subjects were math. And so I went off to be an engineer. And so I went to the school, Western New England University, that I mentioned a few times ago with that little soccer mishap, if you remember. We talked about don't schnep it. And all of you have told me on a regular basis that you recollect that. And some of you are actually using it in your home when things go bad. You say you schnep that. And I go, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So I went off to school, right? Western New England University, I'm studying engineering. I get about two years in, and finally, the Lord got a hold of my heart. Brought me to a low point. A lot of the stuff that had been taking place of him in my heart, he finally cleared away. The static cleared, and I finally got it. 
And I was thinking about this a little bit this week. At the same time, I've been reading this book. It's called They Found the Secret. I don't know if maybe some of you have read it, but it basically chronicles the life of, of 20 Christians, people like Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael. And it tells their story. And I was reading the story about this man named Samuel Logan Brengel, who lived in the last half of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th. And he was a, a major part of the Salvation Army. And he was describing a, a similar experience where at long last the Lord t- took the, the scales off his eyes and he came to see Christ for the first time. My heart resonated with what he said. And let me read it for you. Maybe you've had an experience like this. He says, I saw the humility of Jesus in my pride, the meekness of Jesus in my temper, the lowliness of Jesus in my ambition, the purity of Jesus in my unclean heart. The faithfulness of Jesus and the deceitfulness of my heart. The unselfishness of Jesus and my selfishness. The trust and faith of Jesus and my doubts and unbelief. The holiness of Jesus and my unholiness. And I was rocked to the core. Because I, had been real, I realized I had been living with myself as king instead of God. And he awakened me to the beauty of the gospel. And I saw that for the first time that God saved me through what Christ did. It was right around that time, nine or ten years ago, that, that the senior pastor of the church that Brittany and I came down from when we moved was looking for a worship leader, and, and so he asked me if I would help, and I did. And, and it was over those next two or three years that I began to feel, Lord, just plant this, this love for the local church and this desire to be a part of it. So I went, finished up school, worked as an engineer for a couple years, and then the Lord called me to the position here at BlackRock that I've been. You know, as someone who spent a lot of years just walking in selfishness, absorbed with self, our text for today is one that resonates so beautifully because it calls us back to the heart of the gospel. Let me read it for you. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 2, which is where we're going to be today. If you don't have them, that's okay. We'll put the words up on the screen. But let me read our our two key verses and then, then we'll take a larger look here in a second. But it says, but God, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, if I'm honest, really, in order to appreciate those two verses, you've got to look at the broader context. It's like I dropped you into the middle of the story. And and though those two verses are sweet and rich, they don't tell the whole story of what the Apostle Paul had been writing. And he wrote the letter that we now know as the book of Ephesians to the Christian church in the city of Ephesus around the time of 62 A.D., while he was imprisoned in Rome. And this was a church that he had planted. And so you can imagine that fatherly love that he had for this church. And I wonder, does anyone here feel like you have a favorite book of the Bible? Would anyone say, you know, I've, I've really got a book that I go to on a regular basis. It, it's kind of my favorite. Does anyone have a, a favorite book of the Bible, maybe? Some of you? Yeah. You know, the book of Ephesians is probably one of those two or three top books for me. If you've read it, you know that it's got six chapters total. It's basically split down the middle, three and three. The first three chapters are some of the most theologically rich and beautiful chapters of theology in the whole Bible. What Paul does is he begins with this list of spiritual blessings that we as Christ followers have in Christ through our faith. 
He explains salvation. He tells us in no uncertain terms that our salvation is by grace, through faith, without any works or deeds. I don't know about you, but I have to come back to that on a regular basis and fight that longing in me to earn my salvation. And Paul says you can't earn it. It's by grace, through faith. He tells us about the peace we have with God. The peace that we as his, his created beings long to have with our creator. And then he has this seemingly out of place benediction at the end of chapter 3 that you may be familiar with. It comes out of nowhere that we're typically used to seeing at the end of the book. But it makes sense as he then completely changes gears and chapters 4, 5, and 6 are just about practical Christian living. It's a great book. I encourage you to spend some time there. But as I mentioned, he, he talks in chapter 1 about the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. He talks about things like our adoption into God's family, our redemption, our forgiveness. He talks about our future inheritance, about what is awaiting us. And so we come to the end of chapter 1, and this is, this is where we'll read here, starting in chapter 2. And I'm going to read this whole section, really to give you a, a, a good appreciation of what Paul's saying. You've you got to hear the whole thing. And so I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. Again, you can read along with me in your Bibles or just follow along on the screen. Starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind and if i was just to stop there you might be saying mike i don't love that book of ephesians so much that you've been talking about but thankfully it doesn't stop there we get to verse four and it goes but god but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And how much do you love verses 4 through 10? You know, most of us, I think, probably see that and we appreciate it. Everyone except the English majors who are like, Paul, would you give me a period? These run-on sentences are killing us. It's comma after comma, and will you just end the sentence? And it's like, Paul just can't, he's like, no, i got to keep going. I can't end this sentence yet. And it's just this long run-on sentence, if you remember, from, from 4 through 7. And as Paul is enumerating God's spiritual blessings for us in chapter 1, he prays that we can comprehend them. And then he talks about, here in chapter 2, he, he begins to talk more specifically about two of the ones that he mentioned. And this is forgiveness of sins and the redemption by Christ. In chapter 2, he explains these great truths for us more specifically. He tells you and he tells me, he says, you were spiritually dead. You were alienated. You were separated from God. And because of your transgressions and your sins, you were bound for an eternity apart from your Creator. 
And so the beauty of chapter 1, the heights to which he has brought us, come to this screeching halt as we begin chapter 2. And it's almost as Paul understands that in order to appreciate where you are, you've got to be able to look back and see where you were. I don't know if this is something that you do in your personal life. My wife and I tend to do this a lot. We've, we've been married six years, which isn't, I understand, a long time. For some of you, you've been married 66 years. But we look back and we just see how, how the Lord has brought us through our first six years and, and how things have gotten better. And so you look back and you say, man, thank you, God, for where you brought us. And maybe you've learned to do this in your spiritual life as you look back to, to who you once were, kind of like I was describing. You say, man, God has brought me far. And so it's as Paul understands that and he says, if I'm going to keep telling you about the heights to which God has brought you, I've got to remind you of where you once were in order for you to appreciate it. And so Paul, having, having reminded them, having amply set in those three verses just how bad things were, how far off we were, how much we needed a Savior, he brings us to verse 4. The mighty adversative. But God, as theologian John Stott once called it. See, the plight of mankind was separated from God. And then in verse 4, Paul tells us, but God broke in. He broke through and he made a way so that you and I could come into relationship with our Father. And what God in his love and in his mercy has done for us comes as this, this stark and this breathtaking contrast to what he's laid out for us in those first three verses. And again, This theologian, pastor John Stott, puts it eloquently for us. He says, set against the desperate condition of fallen mankind, we have the gracious initiative and sovereign action of God. Let me read that again. He says, set against the desperate condition of fallen mankind, we have the gracious initiative and sovereign action of God. But God. Our God's a rescuer. I think inherent in each of us is this love of of stories of rescue because we know in our hearts that each one of us has been rescued. So Hollywood capitalizes on this and there are movies about rescue and we're drawn to it. You know, I was thinking this week about the movie about the 9-11 events and with Nicolas Cage and the, the two firemen were trapped and they were rescued. And it was a big hit because we're drawn to that because we know God has rescued us. What Paul is showing us here is that God is not only merciful, showing his grace to those who are holy, unworthy, and undeserving, but that he's rich in mercy. And that mercy proceeds from his love, as he says, the great love with which he loved us. And I don't want you to miss this here. I want you to catch this. I want you to go home with this, kind of branded into your soul afresh. There's longing in the heart of God for humanity. What I want you to realize is that God wants relationship with you. God desires to have a daily and personal relationship with you. Your creator, the one who Psalm 119, Psalm 139 tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb. The creator wants relationship with you. Don't miss that. And so in verse 5 here, as Paul continues, it's as though he wants to just remind us one more time where we've been. It's like, if you're going to appreciate how incredible this thing is, you've got to remember where you've been. 
There's this quick aside in the text. He's trying to emphasize he did this for you. Even while you were dead in your sins, he tells us. He lavished his mercy on you and on me before we loved him. He called us to himself. And at the end of verse 5 here, and and continues into verse 6, Paul continues on, really, what is this kind of sweet play on words? And we unfortunately lose it as our Bibles are translated uh, from Greek into English. And I'll I'll explain that more in a little bit. But but he, he describes three incredible things that God has done for us in Christ. For the man or woman who has put their faith in Jesus. Let me list them for you. The first is that he has made us alive. Verse 5 tells us that. He has made us alive. What he means is that our sins had made us spiritually dead. It separated you and they'd separated me from God. But the resurrected Christ overcame death. And God lets us share in Christ's life. And in so doing, he removes that barrier that is keeping us from God. The alienation we have from our Creator is gone. And He gives us life when we rightfully deserve death. That's the beauty of the Gospel, isn't it? That's what I learned and I came to appreciate. That even though I wasn't pursuing God, God had been pursuing me. And even though I deserved no grace and no mercy, He made a way so that I could experience that grace and that mercy at incredible cost to Himself. Not at incredible cost to me. Not as though I had earned it. Not as though I had spent all this time working on it. He went to incredible lengths to make that way so that you and that I could be restored to our Creator. And He reminds us that it's by grace. It's by grace that you've been saved, He says. And we go on to verse 6, and He says, He's raised us up with Him. And so besides being made alive, as He just told us, the Christian has now been raised up with Christ. And it speaks of how our life in Christ has been changed, and we've experienced, in a sense, Christ has a physical resurrection, right? So, so Christ has been raised to life. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and in the same way, our life has been resurrected spiritually. We who were once dead have been given opportunity for new life. And so now we live here on the earth as part of Christ's kingdom. As Christ has been raised, we've been raised with him. And he tells us the third thing here. And not only has God made us alive and raised us with Christ, but he also has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And I know that that sounds kind of funny and it's maybe a little hard to understand, but in its simplest form, here's what it means. It means as Christ is seated in heaven, we are positioned in heaven. Our citizenship is now in heaven first. And so we walk this earth for the remainder of our years knowing that we are going home one day. And so what Paul did here, these three verbs that are translated made us alive, translated raised us up, and then seated them with, they're these compound verbs in the, in the Greek. And so what, what Paul does is, in front of all of them, he puts the preposition S-Y-N, which in the Greek means together. And so what he's doing is that he's saying, the believer shares these experiences with Christ. Through our faith in Him, He grants us to share these experiences with Him. And so how Christ had had died physically, we had been dead spiritually. And as Christ was raised physically, we are made alive and raised with Him spiritually. As He's seated in the heavenly realms physically, 
We're seated with him there spiritually. And this incredible divine power that can make an unbeliever into a believer, a person who is dead into life, a person who doesn't know Christ into being someone who trusts him for his salvation, and the one who exalted Christ and raised him. It's the same power that lives in you and lives in me today. And you know, I, I realize some of you may be thinking, Mike, this is sort of some pie in the, in the sky type stuff. I mean, what does this really matter for me today? I mean, it sounds kind of cool, but does it really have any effect on my day-to-day life? And I would say it does. You know, I wonder, how many of you like to travel? Would anyone say here that they really like to, to travel a little bit? You like to explore new places? Yeah, a lot of us. My wife and I love to travel. We're leaving for Colorado tomorrow to go see some of her old roommates from her undergrad at Colorado State. We love to travel, love to explore new places. But I wonder, isn't, isn't one of the things that you love about traveling the anticipation of the trip? And so maybe three months out, you book it, you hop on Travelocity, and you get the whole package, and then you get this big red marker, and you circle the date you're leaving on the calendar. And the anticipation starts to build, and you start doing your research, and you, you learn all the cool places to go, and, and what you might do there. And so you have a bad day at work, and you come home, and you say, three weeks until I'm on the beach. Or you have a difficult conversation and you come home and you tell your spouse, I just can't wait to go away with you. It's so busy right now and this anticipation just builds and it adds to the experience of the getaway. See, I'm pretty sure that you and I know what it's like to lack hope. I think what Paul's doing here and and what God would have us take from this, as we think about these incredible truths that that God has done for us in Christ. I think he wants you and I to, to take hope from that. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure there are times when you're lacking in hope a little bit. Perhaps you've been looking for a job for months and it feels like it's never going to come. And you begin to feel that hopelessness just begin to set in. Or your marriage has been difficult as of late. And it's been going like this for a little while and so you just begin to feel this hopelessness set in. There's a host of examples. I know some of you are struggling medically. I just wonder if what God is calling you to today is hope, fresh hope. Because you and I could all use a reminder of what God has done for us and about what lies ahead of us when we see him face to face, which would be an incredible moment for those in Christ Jesus. You know, the hope that, that Paul gives us here is that this is not your final home. We are to live as though one day we're going to spend eternity with God because that's the promise he has ahead of us. This is not all there is for your existence. There's a day coming when you will walk with God in a physical sense. We don't know here on this earth. This is not the only reality that you will know. And there's a hope that God puts ahead of you that that when things get hard, when things get difficult... Look at what I've done for you. Look at what I'm doing for you now. And look at the incredible thing that I have in front of you. Take hope from that, he says. Take hope knowing that there's a day coming. And I'll make all things new. And I will wipe every tear. But for now, fight the fight. There's a Chilean poet named Pablo Neruda who 
won the Nobel Peace Prize back in 1971. But long before that day, he was very lonely and an unhappy child. He grew up without siblings and, and really without friends. And as he reflected back on his life, he described this day when he was investigating the backyard of his home. He discovered this hole in the fence surrounding the yard. And so he began to walk over and, and he explored. And suddenly out of nowhere, this hand just pops through the hole in the fence. It drops something. And then just as quickly as it was there, pulls its hand back out. And this poet, Pablo, looks at where the hand was. And suddenly on the ground, there was this small toy sheep. And so he ran in the house. And he brought back the absolute best thing he had. It was a pine cone. What he did was he made a trade. So he put the pine cone down. He grabbed the sheep. He ran off. And that toy lamb became his most cherished possession. As he reflected back on that later on in life, he said this. He said, to know that you are cared for by someone is one of life's greatest gifts. This small and mysterious exchange of gifts remained inside me, deep and indestructible. As a lonely child, that gave him a connection. And it broke the pain of his loneliness, if even just for a little while. And what it showed him and And what the Bible teaches us is that you and I were made for a relationship. And as I said earlier, you may not believe me, but I believe that your creator wants relationship with you. And if you've experienced that relationship, what I believe today is that he's calling you deeper into relationship with him. These three promises are are just representative of a Bible chock full of promises and callings out from God saying, I want relationship with you. And I've made a way so that you and I can have a relationship. And he's calling us into that. And I wonder if perhaps for the first time today, you'd be willing to step into relationship with him. Do you know what it's like to be loved and cared for by your creator? Maybe you feel lonely in your earthly relationships. You know, people have let you down over and over. Maybe even people here inside this church have let you down. And so this ache in your heart is beginning to set in because you say, does anyone care for me? And what God with his hand outstretched is saying, he's saying, I love you. I created you uniquely and I am proud of you and I want relationship with you. And towards the end of the service, I'll, I'll just ask you to come forward if you would be so bold and to pray with someone and to tell them that and say, I want relationship with my creator. I want to experience that. I want to learn what that's like. Perhaps your life is looking right now like mine once did, what I described. And you say, you know what, Mike, I, I really know a lot about God. But if I'm honest to you, or if I'm honest to myself, I really don't know him. Like you, I could tell you what the gospel is. But I don't treasure it. I don't cherish it. I know a lot about it, but it doesn't really matter a whole lot to me right now. I wonder if you would allow today to be the day where you put a stake in the ground and you say, no longer am I living with just knowledge of God in my head. I want that to move down to my heart so that it impacts my day-to-day life. Because your Creator wants relationship with you. And James 4.8 promises us, he says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And I wonder if, again, at the end of the service, you'd be willing to come forward 
and pray that with a member of our prayer team. You know, in closing, I think Paul's intent and what God has for us through that is first to tell us about that and give us hope for the difficult times. But I think more than that, he wants us to appreciate the truths, appreciate the new identity, appreciate the fact that we've been adopted and forgiven and redeemed. Is that not incredible? Man, as church people, me, you, we get used to that, but God has adopted you and I into his family. It's incredible. And we get used to that language, but man, it is so sweet. And so I think what he has for you and for me today is to move our hearts to a place where we say, thank you, God, fresh for that. Thank you that you've saved me. Oh, God, I'd be so lost without you. And he would want your heart and he would want my heart to move to a place of just incredible gratitude. And you know, when I dream about this church, I don't dream about the new building. You want to know one of the things I dream about? I dream about what would your life look like and my life look like and our church corporately if we were grateful people. If our lives were marked by gratitude at all times. If we came in here ready to worship him because we're bursting with thanks. If our lives from Monday to Saturday looked markedly different because always ahead of us was the incredible things that God has done for us. And so we kept those on our heart. And so when it came to corporate worship, we just exploded with thanks. And when we spent time in prayer on Wednesday morning, our hearts exploded with thanks because of all that God has done for us. And so the last person I wonder if God may be talking to is the person who needs a fresh dose of gratitude. I wonder if our hearts have grown stale. And you say, Mike, I've just grown callous to these incredible truths of God. And I need to be freshly infused with thankfulness. Because it's so easy to just lose sight of all that God has done for us, isn't it? I know what it's like. You've got lives and families and work. And if we're not careful, our minds just get set on those things. And Paul writes in Colossians, set your mind on things above. So I wonder if God is calling that for you today. As we close, I want to pray that benediction that that I mentioned in chapter 3. Let me read this over you. Paul writes this, and I pray this for you. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so today, if God is calling you to that, if His Holy Spirit is working on your heart a little bit, Come forward and pray with a member of the prayer team. Let today be the day that you say, how life has been is not good enough for me anymore. Let me pray one time for you, one more time for you as we close. God, we lift these things before you. And for those of us who have been in the church for a long time, we've heard these truths before. But God, would you make them fresh, fresh to us this morning. Fresh appreciation for what you've done for us. 
a renewed appreciation for what you're doing in us now, God. And would you set the incredible hope of heaven in front of our eyes. And so that when life gets difficult, when we get bogged down with the day-to-day stresses and anxieties of life, that we would, we would set our hearts to what's before us. And we would say, a day is coming. A day is coming. When we will walk with you. We will know stress. And we will know pain. And we will know tears no more. Oh God, what an incredible thing that is. We thank you for that hope. We pray that you would brand it on our hearts, God. And when we lie down at night, we would see that. When we wake up in the morning, we would see that. We say, man, we are blessed people. We are blessed. And so we say thank you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.